0: Well, good morning, Victory Church family and friends. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we rejoice and we are glad in it. My name is Paul. I am privileged and honored to serve as pastor of this amazing congregation called Victory Church, where we exist to see people reconciled to God and to each other. And yes, this is a very different background uh, for me today. We are about 30 minutes outside of Charlottesville, enjoying some respite and Uh, Thanks to the wonderful friends and family in the Charlottesville community we love. Uh, And so that's where we are this morning. But thankfully, with the virtual community that we still have, uh, we are able to connect here today. Happy Palm Sunday. Uh, What what a joy to recall Jesus's triumphant entry into Jerusalem, where the crowds lay palms down on the ground, palms representing peace and victory, singing Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be the name of Jesus the Lord. And so I am grateful that we serve a God who continues to enter our hearts every single day that we allow him to. And with such entry comes God's peace and his victory and his salvific work. Uh, We are grateful today. And I am grateful for the people who call Victory Church home, all of you. Um, You could even drop in the chat if you were blessed by Stefan Wheelock's message last week. Uh, How many know the Lord? had and still has something to say through the text he shared and the message that he delivered. So you can head on over to our YouTube page at any time, or you can download our app to find any of the previous sermons. In fact, I'm glad I remembered this. After this Facebook Live every week, our amazing team actually pulls it from Facebook and pushes it to YouTube. So if you're looking for it after this moment everything is still on our youtube channel where you can get all of the visuals and again you can go to our uh, victory seville app to listen to the audio but amen again to the word delivered through stefan wheelock and this week we have another one of our own uh, another gift to the body of christ and i want to spend a couple of moments introducing her and then uh, getting out of the way so that God can say what God has to say through her today. But we have Kate Martin. Kate Martin has uh, even prior to Victory Church. I want to just share a snippet of how we met, or at least how I remember it. She can correct me if I'm wrong. But I remember having some friends and, and family visit from out of town, and uh, and they were coming to Charlottesville. So you know, we wanted to treat them nicely and take them out to eat and do all the things to make them feel really welcome here. Well. Uh, the kids with our friends were um, just huge basketball fanatics. They, they play, they're pretty good. And um, so we thought, well, why not take them over to the athletic facilities and show them around? And so called a few folks and were able to go over there. And that day I got to meet Kate Martin. Didn't know her. Uh, I think she was fairly new in this job with athletics. And little did I know that day uh, our friends were talking to Kate about this church. We hadn't yet started. Uh, I didn't even mention it. I was just there trying to just create relationships around this uh, sort of educational, professional front, and our friends were busy telling them about Victory Church. But wouldn't you know, Kate Martin would later uh, come to join us at Victory. So we're talking 2018, before we even started services. Um, She was the hospitality team coordinator here at Victory, and then the operations team coordinator. She led a Victory group, uh, specifically the Financial Peace University. She serves with the prayer team and currently is director of finance and operations. And more than the role she has occupied, she is representative of all of us here at Victory, which is a servant's heart, that of filling in where needed as unto the Lord. And as such, uh, we've been blessed. You've been blessed if you've crossed paths with her. And today all of us will be blessed by the deposits that God has placed clearly in her she's from lynchburg virginia she's lived in charlottesville for over a decade now graduated from uva in 2013 worked in as i referenced the virginia athletics department before shifting into development work for the university and now with the uva uh, law school foundation Uh, and she is currently with her spare time uh, pursuing a master's in theology from dallas theological seminary with the intent of continuing to serve by vocationally kate martin we love you I am going to blank my video here so that uh, you can be seen, and we, we are praying for you. We're praying for you, and we thank you for your diligence and word and sharing today.
1: Well, Paul, thank you so much uh, for that great introduction. Uh, it is so wonderful to be uh, with everyone this morning. I am so grateful uh, to be here, and I do want to just specifically say thanks to Pastor Paul um, for inviting me into this space And, um, you know, I'll agree with his story, though I will say he and Taylor are being too modest because, um, in that interaction at the basketball court and on the tour, um, it was meeting Paul and Taylor that I was like, wow, you know, I've got to be around these people more regularly. And that even led to further conversations with Victory um, and ultimately to being here now. But I got to say, I love. Victory Church. I love the community of Victory Church, and um, I'm so excited for this morning. It is again Palm Sunday, and as Paul said already, but as we like to say, this is indeed the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. As many of you also know, and it's probably been said already this morning, the vision of Victory Church is to be reconciled to God and to each other, and incidentally, our sermon series right now is also titled reconciled to God and to each other. Today is Palm Sunday indeed, and Palm Sunday is the Sunday before Easter, which actually introduces Holy Week. Holy Week being the week prior to Easter in which the church remembers the death and resurrection of Christ. So with that, we're going to go ahead and jump right in. Um, Our scripture today is going to be Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. So as you turn your Bible, let me go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for this chance to gather this morning. I ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes to all that is in your word, Lord, and that you would speak boldly through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so our scripture, Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11 Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought brought the donkey and colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So my sermon title today is Common Ground. And what I want us to keep in mind the whole sermon is this, I need a savior. So again, on this Palm Sunday, we find ourselves in the sermon series, Reconciled to God and to each other. And again, that is the vision of Victory Church. So let's just start um, by taking a moment to articulate what reconciliation means or how we might define reconciliation. So I've got a few definitions. Reconciliation is the, is the practice of resolving differences or arguments. Um, it's, Marion webster would say, it's, it's to restore friendship or harmony or to settle or resolve. And if you want the the Kate Martin definition, it's basically to be made right with. So all of these definitions suggest that um, reconciliation might be found in spaces of imbalance, or, or it implies that parties being reconciled were formerly hostile to one another. Reconciliation is actually doing away with an enmity or an imbalance and effectively dealing with its primary cause. So let's consider this thought of positions of imbalance or argument. Now I, I don't know about you, but I love being right. I mean often my first priority in in cases of conflict or question or or simply you know, perspective in day-to-day life is to prove how I am right. And if I'm not careful, uh, this desire for for rightness doesn't always lead to um, optimal outcomes per se. So let me give you some examples. So there's one day I'm talking to a few friends and one is telling a story and highlights in this story how the capital of California is San Francisco. Now I know that capital of California is Sacramento, and my instinct and temptation is to correct her while she's in the limelight mid-story simply to be right. Or let me give you another example. Um, maybe it's times that things are kind of less fact-oriented or a bit less straightforward. So, uh, once I I got in a little tiff, you could say, uh, with a a very good friend. And, you know, do y'all have those friends who who you're just, you're super intentional with. And, you know, like, you got to have people who who you're involved with regularly and accountable to. And for me, some of those folks live out of town. Um, And in an effort to be intentional, in a really busy season of life, one of my best friends and I, we set a weekly call. So Tuesday night's, 8 p.m. We're both going to be free. Um, this actually turned out to be a great routine for us to stay connected. But after a time, seasons kind of changed, and um, it became more natural to like regularly talk meaningfully and like fluidly throughout the week, rather than just this Tuesday night time. So an issue started to arise, and you know, we had this, we had this Tuesday night time, but she started to regularly push the call. So it's, you know, it's Tuesday night at eight and at six 30 or Tuesday night, six 30. And I'm getting a text saying, Hey, uh, I can't talk. Let's push the call. Now the call keeps getting canceled. And as that keeps happening, I'm, I'm getting angry. And because, you know, I'm, I'm prioritizing the time. So like, I'm getting rid of I'm saying no to like a dinner reservation or to to other friends to be free for this. And I'm regularly getting blown off from the time we have agreed on. So I know that I am right, right in my anger. But I have to pause here after both these stories and say, I got to admit, in both of these instances, I'm only giving my side of the story, which doesn't fully identify, even with my rightness, the scope of each issue. So thanks Sacramento. My desire to correct in that instance actually almost caused me to steal the punchline of this friend's story, which was that she realized she'd been telling everyone the wrong capital of the state she'd just moved to. Or for the call debacle, once I confronted her, probably a little too sharply and probably a little too late, um, I realized that I had completely lost sight of the purpose of the calls in the first place. She reminded me, probably a little more gently, that we had set the time with the goal of being intentional, which you know she highlighted was actually happening all throughout the week, even though it wasn't in the Tuesday night slot. So clearly there was a miscommunication involved, but we were both right, implying that. In my stance, I was also wrong. In my constant desire to be right, I often um, generously overlook my overarching wrongness or, or my wrongness that's just hidden from me. In other words, I freely, freely identify the sins of others and fail to consider my own. So, What is this in the context of reconciliation? Well, quite frankly, it's often not reconciliation because I often choose to live in my own rightness rather than instinctively seek to reconcile. I'm perpetuating an imbalance by staking myself in only my perspective and I'm neglecting my overarching sin and and lack perhaps. So when I see this, when I when I remember and this is in my face and just made aware of the depths to which and the breadth and magnitude to which my sin hinders me. You know, and even my blindness, I am led to the same conclusion. I need a savior. Okay. Now, I understand that these these are simple examples in the context of reconciliation, but My point is, is that there are opportunities to reconcile everywhere around us. And more often than not, in the opportunities, don't don't we kind of all do this? That we, you know, live in our rightness. I mean, at the very least, we see it happening in the world around us, that people are just staked in their rightness. We see marriages and relationships and friendships fall apart over sometimes disagreements as trivial as the one I described. Conflict that that persists and takes root because no one is willing to identify their part in it. Or we see it as allegiances to to, to particular affiliations that become unshakable And and actually drive um, our love not towards people, but just to a rightness of this is what I believe. We're fixated on a specific organization or a specific political party. Fill in the blank. Rather than concede a point, we are willing to lose relationships of parents or children or friends. We see it on social media with, with brutal claims and attacks and accusations that leave no space for another viewpoint, that leave no space to consider I might be wrong or I might be right, but someone else might also be right. We see it in the church even, the group of people that profess together that Jesus is Lord and yet there are divisions throughout within denominations and, and across the world. We see it because our world is broken. Our world thrives on division. Our world's instinct is not to reconcile. Our human fleshly instinct Is not to reconcile. We knowingly or not love to perpetuate the imbalance that reconciliation desires to eliminate because we love our rightness. We we, we see our rightness exclusively and so frequently we generously overlook our own sin. We must open our eyes to this habit in the small personal things and in the big societal things. And it must, this this eyes open, must lead us each individually to the same conclusion. I need a savior. So our text, Matthew chapter 21, where are we in the story? The scripture today captures Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, also known as Palm Sunday, which will mark the final, the beginning of the final week of his ministry and the final week of his life. The triumphal entry is actually captured in all four gospels, gospel accounts um, and in their collective story we're able to understand that after three years of of traveling and preaching and teaching that the kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus has been growing in popularity. You know, all of the signs and wonders that he's done are are spreading or the news of them are spreading. And, And this has become a movement. You know, he's been healing people. The blind are receiving their sight. He's been raising the dead even. People are following him in massive numbers and telling everyone about him. So the chief priests and pharisees you know the ruling elite have have recognized the hype and they don't like it they're actually seeking to arrest him to have him killed in fact we learned that 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 he had to actually leave his public ministry in johns gospel after after he raised lazarus from the dead to withdraw to ephraim because they they were so the, the pharisees were so interested in arresting him, that he had to actually withdraw. But now the time is right, and he is making his way toward Jerusalem with a purpose. He's coming in from the east, from Bethphage and Bethany. Bethany, actually, sidebar, is where Lazarus and Mary and Martha lived. And it was likely that he was staying with them during this final week as he commuted in and out of the city. So as we walk through this passage, I want to anchor us to three things, um, the Lord, the donkey, and the shouts of Hosanna, the Lord. So we pick up in our passage, Matthew 21, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage in the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the otter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and colt and placed their cloaks on him for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus in this moment is accepting his identity as Lord and King all through the gospels. He's been doing again, these signs and miracles, but, but after he heals someone, he says, don't tell anyone about this. Or even when he asks the disciples, who, who do people say I am? Or who do you say I am? Even when they answer correctly as the Messiah, he says, don't tell anyone. And this, of course, was was to protect his ministry so that he could actually bring it to fruition in line with the scriptures. Because, again, as word got out about his claims, the Pharisees are getting upset and and he needed to postpone the time at which he was arrested. But it is now the right time to step into the role as king. Not only that. But we see in this scripture that Jesus references Zechariah nine nine. It's a messianic prophecy that Jesus is now claiming for himself. See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I am the king coming to you. We see too that Jesus in the um, in the passage calls himself lord he says to the disciples who who've gone ahead to find the cult tell tell these folks that the lord needs it and and actually we read in in mark's gospel and in i believe luke's gospel that um they what happens it happens exactly as jesus said it was going to happen they the, the disciples actually were questioned as they took the cult um to bring it back to him and said the lord needs it and they allowed it he is publicly identifying as the messiah Okay, so that's the Lord, the donkey. One one kind of neat, small detail is that Matthew is the only gospel that actually mentions two animals. Um, all of the others actually only mention a colt that he rode in on. We can justify this and make sense of it that it's, they say that the colt has never been ridden. And so it would make sense that a mother would accompany the colt to kind of keep it calm. Anyways, the donkey itself is a symbol of peace in contrast to a horse per se, which is a symbol of war. And and it's kind of pictured as people come crusading in to to conquer, but Jesus, our King comes to us gentle. The shouts. So we pick up in verse nine, the shouts that went ahead of him and that fall, or sorry, the crowds that went ahead of him and that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So the crowd has formed because they've they've come, they're following Jesus or they've come to see Jesus for all the miracles that he has done. And they're now acting in celebration because they believe based on what they've, they've seen, that he is the king, that, that he is right to proclaim himself as king and to enter Jerusalem in that manner. So they're, they're crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which is actually a reference back to Psalm 118, 25 and 26 and transliterated from the Hebrew says, save, we pray or save us. They are laying their cloaks on the ground because they believe Jesus to be the coming king that is capable of saving them and waving the palm, the branches, which are actually palm branches um, that were a popular symbol at the time of victory and peace. That's why, again, it's called Palm Sunday. So the implication um, in, in, in them crying out Hosanna, again, is that that they need to be saved but they are expecting that Jesus is coming to take over, to create crusade in and actually free them from Roman oppression. And even in their answer, we see that they're a little bit confused about his ultimate goal because they say he's the prophet from Nazareth. They don't fully understand who he is. But here is where I get to interject. We get to interject and say with excitement, he came for something bigger He didn't just come to conquer a nation, but he came to conquer death, to bring the dead to life, not just to set the oppressed free. But these crowds, not understanding, these would be the same crowds that later in the week would issue shouts of crucify him, abandoning him because things were not playing out like they thought. They did not realize what he is doing. Even the disciples who we read in multiple gospel accounts that, that Jesus previewed to them that, you know, this is the plan, guys. We are heading back to Jerusalem so that the Son of Man will be handed over, flogged, and killed. But on the third day, he will rise again. And we're, we're also explicitly told that even with that clarity, they, those closest to him, did not understand. But Jesus knew His expectations were clear at what was happening as he went willfully, willingly back to Jerusalem as king. So this is a good moment to to pause and bring it back to our story. Who is this Jesus? Jesus has led a perfect, sinless life. He was, he is fully human and fully God, but he was born of a virgin, so he actually didn't inherit the same sin nature that, that that you and I inherited at birth, meaning he was able to perfectly keep God's commands and did keep God's commands. The reward for his rightness, better yet, his righteousness was life, but he decided to push on to take on the wages of our sin, death in our place. Now, in all of my examples, my own rightness was surrounded by wrongness. And I would imagine that in your examples, you too see that. Now, if you don't, you can ask someone close to you and they will find it for you. But Christ was fully right there was no wrongness in him no sin in him and he still went for us he made a way what's the imbalance the imbalance that we're talking about with reconciliation that the bible tells us bluntly that sinners are enemies of god in romans 5 and 10 but christ died to put away our sin the cause of our imbalance and hence second corinthians 5 and 18 says God reconciled us to himself through Christ, not counting people's sins against them. This is really good news. This is the good news for all of us who don't instinctively reconcile. So Romans 3 and 23, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Do you, do you see your wrongness? Do I see mine? Do, do you see your sin? Do you look for it? Do I? Do you and do I find ourselves constantly crying out, I need a savior. Let me admonish us this morning that we must see our wrongness. Even in the spaces that we are right, we must see our wrongness so that we can see the good news for the, for the magnitude of the good news that it is. And it's not until we actually do this right sizing, this right sizing of our sin and seeing ourselves as perpetually wrong, eternally separated from God and sin, that we can actually see the gospel and respond to it. The gospel is the good news that came from the co- came at the cost of someone who was fully right for those who are fully wrong. We Victory Church are a people who exist to see people reconciled to God and to each other. So I would encourage us to be leaders in reconciliation. And the way I think we do that is to to always seek common ground. The common ground of sin saying to myself constantly day in and day out hour by hour i need a savior but with that every single time gleefully joyfully saying i have a savior jesus died for me once we capture the joy and the and the and the and the depth and the and the greatness of that good news it will be seen in all of our actions in looking at christ We will start making ways for other people rather than perhaps condemning them, rather than letting things sit and and grow and take root. We will make the first move, just like God made the first move and and the full move, quite frankly. We can start letting go of our rightness, not to endorse folly, not to abandon truth, not to forsake wisdom, but to walk with the truth, to abide in the word and in wis- wisdom and to invite others in, particularly in to this great story and good news. Our King is humble and gentle, are we? He made a way for others, do we? So as I close, We should cry out, Hosanna, save us, save me. I need a savior all the time. And we should cry it out today in praise and celebration for our King who has come. But we must cry it out not just with our voice, but with our deference, with the laying down of our rightness, and with our love toward others who appear too far gone. Remembering that I, I, and too far gone. Let's not let our rightness compromise God's ministry of reconciliation that we have been given, or slow reconciliation still to happen here. Let's constantly say, I need a savior. Now, I'm I'm standing here today, literally, because a way was made for me. I didn't know the gospel. I didn't know the good news, but someone came into my life and showed it to me in a way that was said, this is great news. I want to tell you about this great news. Not not, not that you're all wrong, you're all wrong, and I'm all right, but invited me in. And today, if you're standing here and, and you, you, you sense in this message, ah, I know I'm right. And I also, I see how I'm wrong. Jesus died for you and for me and for many. And if today is the day that you say, yes, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I need a Savior and you are the Savior. As Paul says, Pastor Paul says, there is never a bad day to make a good decision. Or it's always a great day to make a good decision. I encourage you to do so. If you are here today and that is you and you want Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life, I ask that you would raise your hand where you are, put it in the chat, or simply pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that in your rightness, you came and died for us in our wrongness, our perpetual wrongness, Lord. We thank you that we can stand in the good news and that the good news will allow us to be leaders in reconciliation, Lord. For anyone here today who does not yet know Jesus and who who wants to make you the Lord and savior of our life, I ask that they repeat after me saying, God, I see your rightness. I see your perfection. I see what Jesus has done on the cross. And I see my wrongness. Today, I choose to turn from sin and I choose to turn toward you making you the savior and Lord of my life. We thank you, God, that you're good. It's in Jesus' name we ask and pray these things. So wherever you are, since we're virtual, we're just going to celebrate because the angels in heaven celebrate over even one sinner who turns and repents. Praise God. Today is Palm Sunday. Praise God that he went for us and made a way for us. Victory, we love you. We, we thank you for joining us this morning. Um, if you're new with us here, or if you did give your life to Christ today, I encourage you to submit a connect card. And I pray that we will lead as a people who seek to be reconciled to God and to each other. Praise God. Amen.